You're live with The App Show. Mike Agarbo here with Gray Williams. We've got a great program for you today. Uh, in our show, later on, we'll be talking about delivery workers. You know, the skip the dishes people. Uber Eats. Are they making enough money? Well, New York City says no. They're looking at raising the minimum average wage. And you will be blown away at how little the average delivery driver is making in New York City. They've got over 60,000 of them. So you got to stay tuned for that. We will uh, also be looking into our top five tips for a smarter smart home. How to make your smart home run just that much smoother. And we're going to be talking with the folks over at Wise. This is a, a really cool app and a physical card as well to help you manage your finances when you're traveling. If you hate going to these uh, currency exchanges, which I do, great, because I always feel like I'm getting ripped off, or going to one of those crazy bank machines in foreign countries, uh, this is a solution that you've got to learn more about. We'll be talking with them uh, shortly. But let's look into some of the the app and and mobile news uh, out there. This was kind of a a weird little one, great. McDonald's is uh, serving up a, a brand new Game Boy game a color game for 2023 so, so it's, it's been decades has been relevant right because we've actually seen new games from it this is this is awesome so who uh, so <laughs> where can you play this game who's who's got a game boy anymore uh, well me <laughs> yes so, I, I see why you put this story in our in our rundown yes <laughs> so, so I actually do, and there's a lot of collectors out there that do have uh, old hardware. So this was developed using a um, a video game tool creation tool called GB Studio. Um, it makes it a whole lot easier to create uh, titles for um, uh, for for these these systems. Now you do, you can't just play it on a Game Boy. You can play it on a Game Boy if you have a device that will will basically take a ROM and put it into uh, in, into the Game Boy device, but you've got things like the analog pocket or other software um, emulators that can work on your iPhone or your Android phone, uh, work on your computer. They can, you can play them in a browser. Um, and so there's actually a, a website that feels very like late nineties. Um, and this is Grimace's birthday. Uh, and so it, it features the character, the Grimace, which uh, do, you, do you know what Grimace is? I don't want to know. He's, he's, the, he's, the, he's the big purple guy. Yeah. yeah. He's a taste bud. Yeah, he's a weird looking dude. But that's that's yeah, what we had a, when we were growing up. Grimace. He was supposed to he was supposed to be a taste bud. Oh, okay. I didn't know so, he was a taste bud. He's a taste bud. Okay. And so, you know, he was all there with the with the hamburglar and uh with the fry guys and with Ronald himself. And so they commissioned this brand new game. Um, you know, they they say uh, I guess a purple piece of candy corn. The the actual thing here is that Grimace is a, a taste bud, and you get to play Grimace's birthday which is uh, a, a brand new video game that's available for you to play for free. If you do have a cartridge that will allow you to, to put a ROM onto a Game Boy system, I've got a couple of them. Um, they will allow, allow you to play this game. It is being provided free of charge. Or again, you can play it on a website or uh, on an emulator, either on an, a device like the Analog Pocket or uh, on your phone. going to move over to dating apps. And a lot of people use dating apps. Uh, Match or Match.com. Uh, they have a, a new feature designed to combat dating app burnout. What does this mean, Greg? Well, I mean, I think a lot of us uh, who have been in the dating pool for the last little while, myself included, have started to look at uh, dating apps as, as, a, as a bit exhausting. 
Um, you know, there's there's a lot of swiping that's going on. There's a a lot of uh, catfishing occasionally. You know, where people say that they are one thing, and you, know, you see a picture like, wow, and which decade was this taken in? And so essentially, uh, they're basically looking at creating the service called uh, 72 Hours. And so when you've got meaning, uh, matches that don't lead to meaningful conversations, um, basically it's a way of weeding people out. So how does it weed them out? So essentially you can sign up uh, through the service Monday through Thursday. Um, and so it ends at Thursday, uh, 4 p.m. And essentially what it, what it is, you'll have a chance to take a look at people based on your location and send a message. And they'll send you people that are sort of closely around you. Um, there's no more than 15 people on the map at a given time. And then basically you've got a countdown that starts when the first message is sent. And 72 hours later, if a conversation has not occurred, that match will disappear. And so essentially, instead of like stacking up these conversations of people that you're possibly going to uh, go on a date with, you, you can basically focus on a smaller group of people with the intention and dating mindset that you have. And if a meaningful conversation happens, great. If it doesn't, it goes away. And so that means there's going to be sort of less in the hopper. There's, there's less to worry about, less to think about. And uh, essentially, like, either you're having a meaningful conversation and you go on a date, or this goes away and it's no longer kind of hanging over your head like the sort of Damocles. It's a really interesting way of kind of breaking this down for users um, so that we're not getting inundated by all of this stuff. That's assuming if you're getting a lot of people wanting to match up with you. I imagine if I were, I'm, was single and I, I'm on there, I'd probably not get like even one person. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm suffering from burnout. Oh, well, you're a, pop, you're a popular guy, Mr. Williams. Yeah, not, not popular enough, apparently, though. Okay, oh. we're going to have to take a break. Uh, are you worried about getting crummy exchange rates at these conversion houses when you're, uh, when you're traveling? Well, we've got an app for that. Back after this. We are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I uh, want to talk about uh, money uh, using uh, financial uh, apps and payments. Uh, I've been using uh, something called uh, WiseCard for uh, a couple of years now, and I love it. I do a bit of traveling, uh, especially down in the U.S., uh, over to Europe sometimes. And so instead of uh, you know going to... Uh, some of these currency exchanges where I always kind of feel ripped off uh, or, uh, you know, taking money out of the bank machine there and then probably getting ripped off again <laughs> on the uh, conversion rate. Uh, the Wise card makes it uh, so much easier and gives me uh, good currency conversions. On the line, we've got uh, our guests, uh, Ankita DeMello. She is from Wise. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I have to tell you, I love my card. Uh, and what, what I love about it is I, I get uh, a digital version that I can keep in my Apple wallet, but I also get a, a physical card as well. And so explain to our listeners kind of in a nutshell how it all works. Yeah, of course. Um, so just a bit of background about WISE. Um, so the company started, you know, over a decade ago. I think the original mission um, was to sort of make money move, money without borders, um, to help customers really um, make it simple to make a cross-currency transfer. Now, over the last 10 years, um, the company's really evolved, and we now sort of see ourselves as 
this really universal account where you can hold multiple currencies, you can send um, money across borders, but you can also spend that money. And so going back to, you know, what you just talked about where you, you know, go to the U.S. and you can you can spend money on that card. Um, what we really wanted to do was find a way to make it simple for our customers to hold multiple currencies or to hold their home currency, but to be able to use that without getting ripped off. And so the Wise Card really does that for us, um, where a customer is actually um, charged the mid-market rate, so the actual exchange rate that you see on Google. Um, and of course, we do have a small fee that we charge, but really you're not getting ripped off at um, you know, all of these different currency exchanges and things like that. Um, so really looking at sort of our overall mission, um, you know, one of the one of the things that that we say at WISE is we want to be instant, convenient, and as cheap as possible, so eventually free. Um, and so really, as a, as a product manager at WISE, that's one of the things that we are striving to make it the best for our customers, and, you know, in particular, our customers in Canada. Um, we're trying to make money movement as instant as possible, as cheap as possible, and as convenient for our Canadian customers. Yeah, what I really loved, I did a bit of traveling in Europe last year. Um, basically, with the card, uh, you, you hook it up to uh, your, your bank account, but you basically put money into your Canadian account on the card, and you can do this all through the app. Uh, so if you're going over to the UK uh, or, or Germany, uh, you know, so you need pounds or, or euros, you can then through the app just transfer money right into your UK account or your, your, your German account. And so essentially, you know, when I was over, um, uh, over there, like no matter what country I could, then it automatically knew where I was. So I could use it as a, a debit card, uh, or I could even take cash out of the, uh, the ATMs there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and really like that was, you know, that was the whole purpose behind um, the card to make it really simple um, to spend money no matter where you are. And that if you use it, you're always going to be um, getting the best rate, getting the lowest fees. Um, and that was really something that, you know, our customers told us that they were getting ripped off in all of these different places whenever they traveled. Yeah, I love being able to use it as a, you know, kind of a prepaid uh, debit card because uh, sometimes, you know, in some of these countries, you know, you're trying to find an ATM and those ATMs are kind of sketchy, some of them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So having the flexibility to, to wait to find, you know, a, a better bank ATM, uh, but being able to use it as a, a, a debit card, uh, that, that gave me peace of mind. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've definitely been in multiple situations like that too, where I've been traveling, be it in Europe or or even in Asia, um, and it really is a lifesaver because a lot of the times, especially you know post um, post COVID, a lot of places don't actually take cash anymore. Um, and so that was the other thing that even if you did go and you know get hard cash out, a lot of places didn't actually accept it in the end. So having the wise card and, and, and really not having to worry about having the local currency, you could still just have your home currency. And um, whenever you use the wise card, we will sort of do all of the math for you, do the exchange rates for you, do the conversion for you. Um, and really it's like taking that complexity and pain out of a customer's mind, making it our problem and the customer just having a really great time on their holiday. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. I, I, I have to tell you, I love 
your exchange rates on it. I mean, they're so competitive. And uh, to be honest, I've actually mm-hmm. used it at, against my bank sometimes. Like I had to do a big uh, transfer of U.S. money um, into into Canada. And, you know, they always mm-hmm. say, if you can give us a competitive rate. So I just gave gave the wise rate. <laughs> they, they didn't, they didn't wow. yeah they didn't like it but um you know i ended up getting a, a better deal through them um uh, you've got some new features happening now as well can you tell us about that yeah um so particularly for um canadian customers um we've launched a few things um in the last one year or so um so i think at some point last year we um, made it possible for customers to do auto conversions. Um, I don't know if you've heard about that one, um, but in a nutshell, what that is, um, is we got this feedback from our customers where they were telling us that they wanted to convert their money, but they didn't know when the best time would be, um, you know, is the exchange rate good? Um, and obviously we, you know, as, as a financial institution, we ca- cannot describe when an exchange rate is going to be good. Um, but what we did allow our customers to do was to set an exchange rate that they thought might be good. Um, and so they can do this by going into our app or our website and saying, hey, um, you know, when the exchange rate for US dollar to, let's say, GBP hits X, um, convert 200 of my US dollars. And you kind of just set it, leave it in the app. Um, and as soon as that exchange rate hits, um, we'll actually convert the money for you. Um, and so it's one of those things where, you know, maybe that's in the middle of the night, maybe you're so busy at work that you don't, you don't know that that's happening. And so it's definitely a feature that our customers really love and it's, uh, it's available globally for, you know, any customer that has our wise account and holds money. I, I gotta be honest. I use that, that feature. I love it. Cause uh, you know, no, cause you, you don't know when the exchange rate's going to be up yeah. or down. So I've, I've got some settings on some of the currencies, uh, so that when it does hit, um, like you said, you can do auto, um, conversion, uh, or you can get an alert as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was something that we launched um, last year. Um, so beyond that, what we've actually launched this year um, and very recently is the um, ability for customers to actually use Interact. So Interact, as we know in Canada, is one of you know the most popular payment methods. Um, and so this is kind of going back to our understanding of how are we really localizing our product? How are we making it really convenient for customers in that particular market. And so for Canada, um, it was sort of a no-brainer to say, hey, we should figure out how to make this simple um, with Interact. So at some point um, towards the tail end of last year, we actually launched the ability for customers to send money um, with Interact. And what we've launched in the last one month is the ability for customers to receive money with Interact. So what you can actually do is go into your WISE account and into your, um, your Canadian balance. And once you are actually in there, um, you can hit a button that says receive, um, and there's an option to say receive with Interact. Now, what that does is it essentially associates or registers your WISE um, email address um, with Interact. And so after that, whenever you want somebody to pay you, you just have to share your email address and the money will come directly into your Canadian balance. So this was something again that, you know, our customers had shared with us that they, they would like to see this. Um, we know that sharing bank details is really complicated. Um, whereas just sharing an email is so much easier. Um, and so really it's about making it very convenient for our customers, um, to use wise. So 
if I get this right, I, I love that feature. Um, cause right now, uh, when I set it up, I had to give all my banking details to the app. Could I just interact yeah. e-deposit stuff into my own account now for myself? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. I love it. That's, that's even easier. So, uh, again, we're talking all about the, uh, the wise app and card. Uh, when you do sign up for this, uh, not only do you get a digital version right away that you can put in your smartphone wallet available on Android and iPhone, right? Um, so actually, the interact receive feature at the moment is actually only available on web, so desktop okay. or mobile browser. Okay. Yeah, so we're in the process of um, launching this on our mobile apps, um, but that's going to take a little bit longer to come out. It will get there. So yeah, if you want to use it, go on your website or mobile browser. But that's just for the interact feature. But for the uh, for the app itself, uh, when you do sign up, yeah. uh, the digital card is available on iPhone and Android. Yes. Yeah. So all of our other features, yes, are available on um, all of our different platforms. So you get the digital version in your in your e-wallet that you can use uh, to pay at uh, stores or bars or restaurants, wherever you're going, uh, that accept, um, accept that. Um, but you also get a physical card uh, as well that you could use in ATMs and, and stores, uh, of course. So if uh, folks do want to sign up, there, there is no charge to get this, correct? So we do actually charge you for the card. Oh, okay. Um, so there is, yeah, so there is a fee um, that you pay for the card, and, and that's pretty much for our card costs and the delivery of the card. Um, but beyond that, when you actually use the card, um, again, we don't... Um, oh, okay, go back. You know what? I'm going to pick that up here. Uh, yeah. Anika, where can people find out more information about WISE? Yeah, so if you head on over to um, wise.com, um, and again, for customers in Canada, that will direct you straight away to our Canadian website. Um, you can find out everything there. You can understand how to open an account. So if you're a personal customer or even if you're a small business, um, it will tell you everything um, that you need to know. So you can get started there. You can learn more about our card offering. You can learn more about how to send money, how to receive money. Um, so yeah, that's a good place to go. We've been talking with uh, Ankita DeMello from Wise. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the App Show. Mike and Gray here. We're going to give you our top five tech hacks for a smarter smart home, Gray. And these are, uh, I think, super important to listen to. Many of us now are putting in smart lighting. We've got robot vacuums, smart thermostats. We're going to give you five uh, hacks or tips to, to make things a little easier a little more stable what's uh, the first one on your list gray first one is get a battery backup APS or uh, UPC, UPS power supplies, uh, you know, un uninterruptible power supplies. These things are great because when you do have things like dirty power coming into the house, you've got brownouts, you've got rolling blackouts, um, any interruption in power for some of this hardware can really take that sensitive equipment and make it think that things are happening that shouldn't be happening. So your home router probably one of the most important things. Bridges, if you've got like a Lutron smart bridge or Ikea smart bridge, their new Dejera hub, um, these things, you know, they're going to they're gonna function better if they've got good, clean power coming in. So an un uninterruptible power supply is going to ensure that you don't have those power interruptions. And it's a great way to make sure that your network's way more stable. So you talked about a battery backup. And so I know some of us kind of more nerdy people know what, uh, you know, uh, a UPS is, an uninterruptible power supply. Um why is that important? Again, just keeping that clean level of power coming in. You got to think of it this way: um, if you are, you know, a an internet device, 
right? And you're sipping power and you're sipping power at a just a regular rate. And suddenly that starts to go a little, it's, it starts to drop a little bit. You know, we get a brownout, a little bit less power coming in. And you don't have the power to, to do the operations that you're being asked to do. Suddenly the power comes back on, you've got a surge that could damage or destroy the equipment. So it's good to have this UPS there. But it also does prevent, you know, those spikes in power, which could cause issues. You know, you spend a lot of money on your router, right? Or you're renting it or leasing it from an ISP. You spend a lot of money on things like a Lutron Smart Bridge or an IKEA Digera Hub. They're, you know, between 80 and 100 bucks each. And so having these things damaged or having these things not operating at their full potential, not a great idea. So that battery backup gives you nice, clean power coming off of that battery, right? And if the power does go down, you're still going to keep that clean power until such time as that battery is um, is, is run out. Now, what you can do is if you do know that you've got a, a blackout coming, you can start to gracefully shut some of these things down so that you don't have a, that gap in power when it happens, and then you can power them back up. You can unplug them and power them back up as the power comes back on. It's a far better way to handle it than just letting the, the power grid handle it itself. Number two on our uh, top five tech hacks for your smart home to make it more reliable. This is this is kind of important. Schedule reboots. You yeah, want so to basically, yeah, you want to reboot your router and your cable modem on a regular basis. You do. And so, you know, I've got service through Shaw right now. And uh, I pay for 1.5 gigabits per second. Uh, right now, I'm getting about 280 megabits per second. Um, I'm going to reboot after we're done recording this. And I will get back up to 800, 900 megabits per second. And so these systems, you know, between heat, between constant use, um, the firmware is okay, but it's never great. So when you're doing this, you're basically, you're, you're going through maintenance and doing this on your time when you know that you can afford the downtime as opposed to you've got folks coming over, you need to turn lights on. And for whatever reason, your network is not cooperating. I can't tell you the number of times that this has happened to me in the past. I've made it part of my routine. I've actually got a system set up now as part of my smart home to send a command to reboot these routers and reboot these bridges. And it's it's a really great way of just keeping things sort of operating at peak capacity and operating at peak performance without having to wait for things to go wrong. Well, it's like I, I recommend people reboot their computer every so often as well, just to kind of give it a, a fresh start. Yeah, it, it just, it's, when we're looking at it, Cludge is something that happens, right? Did just, you just yes. say cludge? I said cludge. Right? Like, you've got programs that are running, and they leave little bits in memory, and they leave things around. And you know, when you go to, to, to use them again, that cache boots back up, and you're looking at it going, why is this thing running so slow? A quick reboot, not only for your computer, but for these devices, really just, again, it's, it's like sort of waking up in the morning and taking a shower. These things get refreshed, and they're working the way that they should. And if you do it on your time and not when they decide that they're going to have a moment, you're, you're basically taking more control of your network. Talking about our top five uh, tips or hacks for making a smarter smart home. Number three, opt for internet independent hardware. This is important. So smart, yeah, smart devices are, it's interesting because there are so many inexpensive devices out there right now. Apple tried to put this thing in place where they, you know, had designed for HomeKit, a lot like designed for iPod, um, where they had some quality standards that they put in. Um, for a lot of folks out there, the design for HomeKit stuff was very expensive. And so, you know, for mission critical stuff, you put in the better quality stuff, but for lower quality or lower urgency uh, uses, you might put in lower quality stuff, which in a lot of cases, if it doesn't have a, a bridge in your house, if it doesn't have a hub in your house, um, it's actually going out to the cloud and using somebody else's computer. That's doing a couple of things. It's sending data out to that group, 
If you've got user profiles, it can tell one when people are home, the temperatures that they uh, you know like to have in the house. If you've got uh, a thermostat in control, um, if you've got things like smart TVs, you know they they can see the type of things that you're watching as far as listing and and, and getting more data on you that way. Um, when we're talking about like higher quality gear, again, things like the Lutron Smart Bridge, they control the Lutron Caseta switches. If your internet goes out, those switches still work and they will still actually act as smart switches on your network independently, right? You do not need to go out to the cloud. So if you're looking at something and it requires a cloud account in order for it to work, chances are if that, because that, those servers could go down, those companies could go out of business, you could end up with a piece of hardware that does not function well. So getting higher quality gear right off the bat, something that doesn't rely on the cloud, does mean that you're going to have a smart home that is going to be uh, a better option for you and will work if things do go sideways. You'd be surprised at how many companies, tech companies, go out of business and their cloud-based <laughs> hardware uh, basically stops functioning because it needs the cloud and they don't have the cloud anymore because they're, they're done. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've had two or three where I basically had to replace key pieces of my home network. Well, at one point, it was actually a router, a smart home router that was designed for it. That company went out of business. I didn't get an email from them. It just stopped working one day. Heartbreaking. <laughs> okay, we're talking about our top five uh, smart home hacks or tips to keep your smart home uh, running efficiently. Uh, number four is update your firmware. This is important because... All these devices, uh, they have firmware, basically uh, kind of uh, like the base of telling them how they should operate and do. They uh, have uh, security updates and things like that. But I don't think a lot of people update firmware on a regular basis. It's one of those things where I've actually put a a note in my calendar to check for firmware updates for my smart home stuff on a monthly basis. In some cases, you know, if you do have things that are either HomeKit or Google Home authorized, um, they'll actually check through that software for you and they'll they'll show you that one a firmware update was available. And if you've got auto updates on, they will automatically update for you. Um, I know some folks are a little bit hesitant hesitant to do that because in some cases, you know, when there have been lawsuits and things like that. Firmware updates have actually removed features, but if you're going with higher quality stuff, typically that doesn't happen that often. Um, So if you do have a number of different brands of uh, smart home things in your home, boot up the app for that particular device. Typically, we'll take a look and we'll say, you know, I've compared, this is the firmware that your device is on, this is the firmware that we're seeing in the cloud, Um, this is up to date, or it's not, and let's get that firmware, firmware, firmware update done. And so by doing this, you're keeping yourself up to date. Again, the security thing's a big concern. There are things called zero-day exploits where basically an exploit is found, it's out in the wild, and your home could be at risk. They tend to be patched very quickly, but you've got to be on top of that. So you may want to set up like a, a Google a notification for any brands that you might have in your smart home. Pretty easy to do. Just go to Google and you can set those notifications up pretty quickly. And that will let you know if something like that's happened. If you're on a newsletter for your uh, smart home services, or smart home devices as well, typically you might see if there's a firmware update there as well. So keeping these things up to date, checking on them on a monthly basis, just making sure that they are running the way they should. It's a little like an oil change for your, um, uh, for your smart home. If you're, if you're diligent about it, which we should be, it will actually keep you in good stead. Talking all about our top five uh, tech hacks or tips uh, for making your smart home run smoothly. The last one, upgrade to Matter. And I don't think a lot of our listeners know what Matter is when it comes to smart home standards. But this is a, a, a new standard uh, that uh, a lot of the manufacturers out there that make smart lights and vacuums and uh, thermostats, uh, for your home, 
they are building matter support into their devices. And this is supposed to be a, a, univ, uh, a unifying standard that will make everything connect and talk to each other. And honestly, this is probably one of the best things to happen to smart homes in a very, very long time. Right now, I'm running a, um, a home bridge uh, smart bridge that's basically based on a Raspberry Pi, a little computer about the size of a deck of cards. And this thing basically takes all of these disparate apps and all these these things that maybe aren't authorized for HomeKit because I have a HomeKit system in my home. Which is the Apple um, standard for smart that's home. That's the Apple standard. And, and so and it, it makes them available on that particular standard. Basically, it gives me a HomeKit QR code that I can add this bridge, I can add these things to that bridge, and now with plugins, they will show up in my HomeKit setup. It's a really great way to kind of bring everything together. Matter actually makes this irrelevant because when software when software for these devices is developed with Matter in mind, and this is a royalty-free software development kit that manufacturers can use to bring all of these things together, now you're not worried about if you're buying something that is, you know, Amazon compatible, Google compatible, or Apple compatible. You're just buying a smart home device. And with the right uh, Matter router, which, you know, you can use an iPad, you can use an Apple TV, or any of the mesh matter-compatible routers that are out there. Um, it will give you, one, faster control, because it's, it's, it's a speedier connection. Two, um, it actually does work if the internet does go down. These things aren't cloud-based. They're going to be working through uh, the, the matter system that's basically built into your home. And, and, and three, it's going to give you the reliability that you can buy anything off the shelf that says works with matter, and it will work with what you want. This is a standard that has been adopted. It is being pushed out, and like, it works. I switched it from matter recently. Apple gave me a little notification in my uh, home app that said I had to upgrade my home. That didn't mean I had to upgrade all of the devices in my home as well as far as software goes. I had to make sure that they were running the latest operating system. But as soon as I did that, all of my devices could see and control my home easily. And it's been a way, way better experience in the couple of weeks since I've done that. And that's not just for Apple people. This is a standard for all of these smart home devices, you know, whether Google, Apple, whatever. And and it's just going to get better and better. So we've been talking about our top five uh, tech hacks for making your smart home run it smoother. Uh, just a quick summary here. Number one, get a, uh, a good uh, a power supply so that uh, you have that connected to the router and other bridges that control your smart home just so that they have clean power. Uh, number two, reboot your stuff every so often. Reboot the router and any smart bridges that keep things connected. It will make a world of difference. Number three, uh, make sure you look for internet-independent hardware whenever you can. If you're looking for these smart devices, if you can, see if they can operate independently, that they don't need to go out to the internet to uh, to function because it's not always available. Number three or number four, update your firmware. So always be updating any of the devices you have to make sure it's uh, running uh, the latest uh, software. And number five, upgrade to Matter. This is a new standard that all these smart home devices will be working on. When we come back from the break, we're going to look at uh, the delivery business. Uh, this is a uh, really blossomed over the past uh, few years. You know, the Uber Eats, the Skip the Dishes. But are these delivery folks making? enough money? Well, New York City says no. They've instituted a minimum wage for these delivery workers. We'll tell you all about it. Back after this. You are back with the App Show. Mike and Gray here. We're going to talk uh, delivery workers now. We've seen uh, a huge increase in the amount of uh, delivery services and the workers out there. I'm talking Skip the Dishes, DoorDash, Uber Eats. I've always wondered though, Gray, how much money do these delivery drivers actually make? 
Well, it turns no out, idea. yeah. Well, it turns out on average, not a heck of a lot. Down in New York City, they're looking at changing that. On average, the city says that delivery workers make about just over seven dollars an hour. That is insane, Gray. They're they're looking at changing that July twelfth and putting this into law that that rate has to be a minimum of uh, just under eighteen dollars an hour. So they're going from seven dollars an hour up to about eighteen dollars an hour. Surprised? I'm surprised, but you know what? I'm actually in favor of this. L- looking at it, so right now these companies are offloading the responsibility for this, the living wage for these workers onto us with tipping. I don't know if you've looked at the tipping on most of these apps. Uber Eats does an amazing job with this. Um, you know, when I buy something for $30, it recommends, you know, a 10, a 15, a 20% tip. But that 15% tip is like eight bucks. I don't know who's doing math over there, but that is not 15% on $30. It seems to be absolutely disconnected to reality completely. If anybody needs a pay decrease, it's the folks doing math over at Uber Eats. That's, that's really the big one. So looking at this, tipping is not, it's going to be reliant on every user to decide what they think their delivery driver deserves from them. And realistically speaking, like when you're ordering something for, you don't really know until the things got there. And so a lot of folks will tip in advance. You can add a tip later, but it's kind of a clunky process. This actually needs to go back on these companies. And so by paying a living wage, they're actually doing the thing that they should do. Seven bucks an hour is nothing to live on. And, you know, actually paying a living wage, I'm paying for Uber One. I'm paying for your subscription service. You can kick a little bit more money over to those delivery guys and actually make this thing work. There is no question that these delivery services, these apps have made it so much more convenient to get whatever kind of food you want. Because in the past, if you wanted delivery, it, it was difficult, right? Do you remember the old days? Great. Like if you wanted a pizza delivered, uh, you wouldn't have been able to do that till dinner time. You know what I mean? If I wanted a pizza at one in the afternoon or two in the afternoon, there's no pizza delivery places doing that. But now you can get just, you can just get just about anything through like skip the dishes. Any hour or of the day. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like they're, they're doing breakfast services well into the late at night. You know, you, you, you've been up, you've been out, you've been dancing and it's three o'clock in the morning and you want a burger. Someone will bring you a burger. That's pretty impressive. And honestly, they should be compensated for that. I agree. But here's here's the thing, Gray. So this is happening in New York City. We're talking about delivery drivers down there. New York City is mandating that all these delivery services have to start paying their delivery drivers uh, a living wage. Because right now, on average, they're making about 7 bucks an hour. So they're bumping that up to close to $18 an hour. By 2025, they're bumping that up to $20 an, an hour. Which, no, good. But, great. there's going to come a day of reckoning. I don't know if you've looked at the financials on these companies. They are losing money hand over fist in the hundreds of millions every year. They are not profitable. Which brings us back to the old adage, right? If you cannot make your business work without breaking the back of the person doing the labor, you don't deserve to have a business. And maybe that means that we don't deserve to have, you know, 11 a.m. pizza. We don't deserve to have three o'clock in the morning burgers. You got to get in your car and go get it or take a taxi if you can't drive. But maybe that's what it comes down to. But how long, like we but how long, but how long can that go, Gray? Like there's a, a certain point where investors are going to go, Hey, uh, 
you lost another $250 million this year with no end in sight. Like, there's going to come a point where they can't raise any more money. But this comes down to what is your business plan, right? And either your business plan works or your business plan doesn't. If your business plan doesn't work without basically saying, I can only pay, afford to pay you half of a living wage or less than half of a living wage, then you do not have a business plan. What you have is indentured servitude. And yes, people will opt for it, but that's looking at it and saying shareholder capitalism is a reason why we shouldn't have these things. Uh, well, yeah, actually, it's if we if we cannot afford to pay people for the work that they do, and if you can't afford to make a living on this, then maybe it shouldn't exist. Again, we're talking about uh, the delivery services out there, the DoorDashes, the Uber Eats, the Skip the Dishes, New York City instituting a minimum average wage for these workers, uh, bumping it up to $18 an hour starting this July 12th from 7 bucks an hour. They've got over 60,000 delivery workers in New York City, which is a staggering uh, amount. That, that raise is about $13 an hour. There's no question, Gray, that there's probably some top earners. There's some, you know, probably... 20% are, that are just killing it, these delivery drivers that have figured out the system and working hard. Uh, but, I mean, you can't do you can't do that on the backs of, you know, <laughs> the bottom 80%, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And so, so, so looking at this here, um, you know, one of two things is going to happen. Either New York City is going to see a disappearance of these apps, and we've seen it happen before, right? Like Car2Go was here in Vancouver. They couldn't make a, make, make a go of it, so they left. And you know what have we seen flourish in the meantime? We've seen things like um, Evo, a local solution, has popped up to meet that need. And so maybe it is the type of thing where you know your big corporation can't make it work, but maybe more local solutions could make it work. If that's the case, you know we've seen here in Vancouver that 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 can be the case. That may actually be the solution for us. That's all the time we have left for the app show. Don't forget to listen to our sister show. Get connected. You can uh, find our podcast up on our website, getconnectedmedia.com or your favorite uh, podcast uh, app that you use. So on Get Connected, uh, we talk about ChatGPT, the difference between the version 3.5, the free one, and the pay one. You'll uh, want to tune in to learn more about that. And uh, we also talk about the new North American charging standard that all the EV car companies here, the big ones anyway, including Tesla, Ford, and GM are adopting. We'll tell you how that's all going to work and how soon it's going to happen. I want to thank Gray for joining me today. This is Mike and Gray signing off for the App Show. We'll see you again next time.